I haven't met you. My name is Gabe Coyle. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, we're doing something a little bit different. You may know if you've been, if you're a regular attender, we usually go right into scripture reading, but I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of context um, before we jump in to our text this morning. Um, well, we're walking through the book of Acts, um, and it's a historical account of the beginning of the church, and in these first three weeks, In Acts, we've been rediscovering how at the heart of the church, Christians are a sent people. In week one, we discovered or listened to Jesus as he kind of gave us the big why behind the church, behind everything the church says and does. We found that our mission is to be a people who are witnesses of Jesus to everyone, everywhere. And then last week, we talked about the power that actually fuels this mission is none other than the oft-forgotten third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. If there's any hope for Jesus' mission to be accomplished in the world, it is the Spirit of God empowering the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. And today, as we kind of wrap up this mini-series in our journey through the book of Acts, we're listening and learning and growing in our understanding of the message that you and I are to be witnesses of. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, this is a great opportunity For you to hear what is the Christian stump speech, what is at the center of what it means to be a Christian, and what it is that we, the good news that we proclaim. If you are a Christian, this is also a great opportunity for you as we seek to grow in our understanding on how to share this great message with the world. Because listen, if you've ever, if you've ever wrestled with whether the Christian message could be true for you, or if you're here this morning and you've wrestled with whether you could ever Share this message with confidence, with clarity. If you're here and you've wrestled with whether this message actually changes the world for the better, better than any other religion or any other philosophy out there, then you're in good company. Because out of all the people that God uses at the very beginning of this mission to proclaim this good news to a surrounding company, out of all the people God uses, he uses a guy named Peter. Now, Peter's pretty well known if you've been around church circles for a while, but Peter was completely unknown before he met Jesus. He was an ordinary Galilean and then spent about three years walking with, learning from, talking with Jesus and became personal, intimate friends with Jesus until this critical moment when Jesus needed Peter the most, Peter betrays Jesus. He turns his back on everything that he'd given his life to for the past Three years, and it's this Peter who'd betrayed Jesus, who'd done one of the most atrocious things that you can do in a friendship, and turning his back on his friend when he needed him most. It's this Peter, out of all the disciples, out of all the apostles, that God uses to proclaim the message of the Christian faith, our message, for the first time in its totality. And what we see is that over 3,000 people, when they hear this message, embrace it for themselves. This is an amazing moment. How did this happen? How did Peter, this betrayer of Jesus, become the one who proclaims the message, this our message, the gospel, for the first time? And so 3,000 people turn and embrace this message as their own. What happens? What happens is that Peter gets this message. Or maybe better yet, this message finally gets Peter. And he understands what's at the heart of Christianity. And it changes everything. And listen, that can be true for you and I this morning 
as well. So if you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 41. If you're using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 910. And if you weren't here last week, and even if you were and you forgot, let me give you some context, okay? Last week, as we're walking through this historical account, just before Peter opens his mouth, all the apostles, the Holy Spirit descends on them, and they start proclaiming the greatnesses of God in Christ to everybody who will listen. But what's truly miraculous, that is beyond naturalistic explanation, is that they're proclaiming it in all of these languages. Like these ordinary backwoods Galileans are, are proclaiming in perfect Aramaic and perfect Greek and perfect Latin, and, and on and on the list goes way beyond their capacity. The Spirit is doing something that is beyond them and yet through them. And everybody who's hearing this has one of two responses. They either say, these guys are completely toasted out of their minds, or really thoughtful inquirers are saying, well, what does this mean? And that's where we cue Peter. Remember, he's empowered by the Spirit at this moment. He opens his mouth to proclaim this message, our message. And we would normally stand for the reading of God's Word as a symbol of showing honor. But today, because it's a little longer... Here's what I'd love for us to do. And the sermon is so brilliant. I want you to lean in. I want you to look in your text, okay? Instead of standing, I want you to lean in. I want your nose to be in the Bible here as we follow along this brilliant sermon. And my hopes is that I will not screw it up. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 41. Hear the word of the Lord to us. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days... I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, speaking of Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, speaking once again of Jesus, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so what do we learn with this crowd from Peter about our message, the message at the heart of Christianity, the message once we get, or better yet, once it gets us, we can't help but share three things, okay? And we're going to walk through the sermon and then come back at the end with some diagnostic questions for you and I. So first thing we come to see about our message as Christians is that our message changes the mind. Our message changes the mind. Now, if... if if today a bunch of people saw me and a couple of my friends and then surmised that I was drunk, my first line of defense would not be to start proclaiming scripture. Um, I wouldn't be like, hey, Leviticus says, like, no, that's not going to be my go-to mode. But Peter jumps from one scripture to the next. He goes from Joel 2 to Psalm 16, Psalm 110, and then Psalm 132. So he's all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Why? Because like every thoughtful communicator, he knows his audience. You see, as either Jews or God-fearing Jews, that or, or God-fearing Gentiles, those are the folks who are listening to Peter at this particular moment. Everyone listening has an imagination for God's promises that have been proclaimed throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, what we now call the Old Testament. You can just imagine Jewish parents as they would put their kids to bed, these were their bedtime stories. As they would tell of Joel, the prophet, how he promised that one day, the Spirit of God is going to descend and be on everyone, not just prophets and not just in a particular place, but on everyone who's associated with the Lord. You imagine old men gathered around campfires with tears coming down their old wrinkled faces as they're looking at the golden coals of the fire, imagining God's fire coming down and God sending His Messiah, the true and, and the promised one, to now bring liberation from Israel's oppressors, to bring salvation to bring redemption and the joy that that was to come. Everybody's hoping, everybody's hungry for God to come and they know the time is soon. They've heard the prophecies and they're waiting eagerly. And we have stories kind of like this. In our culture, we have Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or, you know, Harry Potter. And we pay some $40 just to have a couple hours with these folks in costumes to act like these are real stories. We hunger for heroes for good to triumph over evil. And our stories, although maybe make-believe for them, for Israel, and for us, this is a reminder that God is working in the world, 
that these are not make-believe, that God will uphold his promises. And that's why everybody is here at Pentecost at this particular moment in time. They've come here in this moment during Pentecost to remember that God's story continues to move forward and they're part of that story, that God's promises will ring true. They're waiting, they're hungry. And so as Peter begins to detail out these passages, Peter's telling them their bedtime stories, their campfire stories, their hopes, their dreams. And he tells them every one of them, all their promises, all the hopes, all the dreams, every story, every promise in Scripture has been pointing to one person and his name is Jesus. You see this? This Jesus, this Jesus, this Jesus. It comes back to him again and again and again. He's the one they're looking for. And the Spirit of God that made the world is now being poured out upon those who are associated with Jesus. And you'll notice it doesn't come in the temple where it normally would. It doesn't come with just prophets and priests. It doesn't come with men only or adults only or the rich only. It's very democratizing. And that it's everyone who's associated with this man, Jesus. The hero that not even, I mean, the, the king of kings in almost every Israelite framework was King David. Like, if you had a current king, you measured him up against King David. And Peter's like, as much as you love King David, his tomb's right over there. You can go check it out. Do you remember that in the sermon? He's like, he died, he was buried, and we all know where his tomb is. But Jesus' tomb is empty. There are a lot of different stories out there about why his tomb is empty. But if you go and look in that tomb, there's no body. And me, as Peter, I've seen him, I've touched him, I've talked with him, I've watched him ascend. I've experienced the resurrected Jesus. And the spirit that's come down upon me, you remember what Joel talked about that you've all seen that you can't explain? This is a testimony that you yourselves are experiencing that validates my witness of the resurrected Jesus. What, better, what a better explanation do you have for what you've seen, what you've heard, than this Jesus? And you see, for Peter, for the earliest apostles and the Christians throughout history, for you and for me, our message, it changes the mind. We learn to think differently about our world because what is possible in our world is now exploded to new heights. We no longer have an iron ceiling where only what we taste, touch, and smell and experience is what can be defined as reality. But we have a God who breaks in and who is supernatural and so can do supernatural things that are beyond our categories of explanation. So we not only see the world differently, but what is possible, what is plausible in the world and what God can do in the world has given us a whole new frame of reference. You see, our message isn't first and foremost good advice on how to live. It is first and foremost good news about who lived, who died, who rose again based upon eyewitness accounts. Our message, the message of Christianity, isn't first and foremost a good idea or a really interesting concept that we can talk over coffee for the next couple hours. This is a claim on the reality of the world, and it changes the mind. And how we see the world and what we can imagine is possible in the world because the God who runs this world and how he's been working in the world is beyond our categories of control and our categories of good. And so what we find is that Jesus is God become flesh, the Son of God, the fulfillment of every human longing. And he came. But there's only one, maybe not the only, but one of the biggest problems is this, is that we killed him. 
We're the bad guys in this narrative. We all want a hero. But the more we come to understand this story is that we are the villains, which is why, secondly, our, our message doesn't just change the mind, but it stabs the heart. This isn't just an interesting idea. It actually convicts every human heart. And this is where Peter turns in his message. Remember, in verse 36 and 37, he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You see, these folks, they hear Peter's accusation, and as Peter calls them out, they are cut to the heart. Translated literally, it means they were stabbed in their heart. I mean, this is a visceral emotion, a heightened experience. I remember the first time that Ava lied to Allie and I, and we knew that she knew that she was lying. It was like this whole new frame of reference when I was coming to engage. Like, and actually, there was a big part of me that just crumbled on the inside, you know, because we told her, Ava, this is wrong. Lying hurts people. And I had to come to grips with the idea that my sweet, little, beautiful daughter now has the capacity for great deceit, you know? And so in the midst of this, she just still didn't get it. And so I'm just broken. And I said, Ava, you know, you've really disappointed daddy. Like you, when you lie, you hurt daddy's heart. <laughs> Remember that time when I'm looking at my wife because it was like this awful moment where her face just transforms with like horror and tears fill her eyes. We had a lot of cleaning up to do after that moment. Um, but what was, so, what was so true about that moment is wrong went from something that was abstract to something that was personal. So many times we can, you know, name something as wrong or even feel quote-unquote guilty because we got caught doing something wrong and we're frustrated with the consequences. But that's not what cuts of the heart means. Being stabbed in the heart by conviction is a lot deeper than that. When these earlier listeners heard Peter's accusation, they took their sin personally, their sin, their disobedience of God, their, their outright objection to the person of Jesus, the mistakes. They were no longer an abstraction. They were personal. They came with a face and a name as to who had to pay for those sins, and his name was Jesus. They felt the weight of their sin. And Peter knows this pain personally. This isn't a message he's proclaiming and so saying this is what everybody else needs. He knew this was his story, a message he'd lived. I mean, on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus had told him, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, in arrogance, was like, no way. I'm way better than that. Jesus is like, no, three times. And so what does he do? Not once, not twice, but three times denies Jesus. And if you go to the gospel account of Luke in chapter 22, verse 61, we read right after Peter did everything he could to distance himself from Jesus when it did not bring him value and it did not bring him honor, but instead to kind of secure a better safety for himself, Jesus and Peter's eyes meet in Luke chapter 22, verse 61. And then Peter just crumbles. And the text says he runs away weeping bitterly. Wrong wasn't just an abstract thing. No, 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 no. It became very personal on how it impacted Jesus and his relationship with Christ. And so Peter is announcing to everyone who will listen, himself included, that Jesus died on the cross because of you. He went to the cross for you and for me. 
It wasn't just the people in the first century either. I mean, it was God's plan that Jesus would go to the cross for the sins of the world. Earlier, remember in his sermon, Peter says this in verses 22 and 23, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This was God's plan to deal with sin, their sin, your sin, my sin. And, and this is the mystery of God's work of salvation. We are guilty, but God, who is just determined to pay for our sin justly out of his great love for us such that in his power, not even our sinful schemes could stop him from paying for our sin. Isn't that astounding? God predetermined in his forethought that this is how Jesus would die for the sins of the world and in his power he determined it to be so. We are still guilty for the actions that we perpetrated but not even our sinful actions could ever stop God for paying in just ways for our sin. That is how deep his love is for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. This is our God. And when the crowd takes what Peter is saying to heart, there's only one question, the kind of question that comes up from anyone who finally gets this message or when the message really starts to get them. They ask, well, brothers, what shall we do? I mean, are we condemned to being the bad guys? Are we forever destined to our failures? Are we the sum total of our mistakes? Are we just fated towards destruction or is there something else? And then we find some of the most hopeful words in all the world that come off of the lips of the apostle Peter when he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The answer to your and my sin is first the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the confirmation of his finished work and his resurrection. But our response is none other than to repent. Stop working against what God is doing exclusively through his son Jesus, the son of God, the true Messiah of Israel. And instead, respond to his call by embracing him with all that you are. You see, our message, it not only changes minds and stabs the heart, but our message transforms lives. It's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's the best news this world over. And God has promised this to you and to me. This isn't a probability. This isn't a possibility. This isn't an ultimatum. It's a promise that we see right here. You repent. This is what you're offered. And let's, lock, let's walk through this, this robust promise that we're given. When we repent and embrace Jesus, we're promised forgiveness for every sin. There is no sin, no capacity of sin, no sin any culture can therefore engage in by which Jesus cannot say it is forgiven. No matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done, the promise is a clean slate, complete forgiveness in Christ. On top of that, we're promised a new heart that's not only 
then invited to live life without guilt and shame because Jesus has paid for that. Not because we've earned it, because Jesus has paid for it, but now we can learn to love what God loves and even how God loves. Amen. I hear that. That was awesome. We're promised a new family in the local church. As we're baptized before our brothers and sisters who now stand around us as testimonies of the new life that God's doing in and through each person. And then as champions and co-cheerleaders that say, we're with you as you walk through this. We're promised spiritual empowerment by the work of the Holy Spirit to carry out God's mission in the world. And all this is ours in Jesus. It's promised to us with the same all-powerful determination by which God created the world and which he determined the redemption of the world and even the power by which he resurrected the very Son of God and the power that now resides in you by the Holy Spirit for those who are Christ's. And Peter, once again, isn't just telling a message for everyone else. This is his story. He'd betrayed Jesus. He'd felt the stab of failure and betrayal of Jesus. He had to think that his life was over at this moment. There's no going back. I mean, if there's anything that's going to test the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ in such an intimacy of friendship in the midst of such great betrayal, it's this. And yet when Jesus engages with Peter after his resurrection, what does he come with? Mercy and forgiveness. And even in one of the most outlandish reversals, a restored place of honor in leading this new movement. It's truly mind-blowing. And here Peter stands, one sinner, forgiven by the grace of God, calling out a bunch of sinners to receive the grace of God. And that's what it means to bear witness to Jesus. We stand there with humility because we are sinners, each and every one of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet we stand with confidence. Because Jesus has resurrected from the grave, unlike anyone else this world has ever known. And he's come offering forgiveness and freedom and empowerment of the Holy Spirit for all who will embrace him. This is what he offers, and so he can stand with confidence, but also humility, forgiven and simultaneously freed. Jesus, the Son of God, he's the the hero of every story, the one whom God has been pointing to throughout Scripture in every moment of history, in every experience of awe and creation. They're all pointing to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the creator of the world. And yet it was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. We are the villains in this story as much as we want to believe we're the victims. But Jesus isn't just the hero of the world for the victims. He's the hero of the world for his enemies. While we were yet sinners, that's when Christ died for us. If we just repent and embrace him, stop pushing against him and learn to let him shower over us. You see, our message is the greatest story this world over because only our message changes the mind, has the capacity to stab us right in the heart, and then transform life. And when the crowd hears this message, it's not hard to imagine how 3,000 people upon hearing this good news for the first time can't help but embrace it. And it changes the very framework of Jerusalem in this moment. Peter got this message. He knew it was for him first, and then he knew he couldn't hold it within himself, but he had to share it. And so I want to ask 
If our message is this good, a message that changes the mind, stabs the heart, and transforms lives by the power of the Spirit, when was the last time you shared this message with someone? I'm not saying every time you have a conversation, you're trying to squeak in Jesus, okay? That doesn't always go so well. Um, But I am asking, when was the last time you were listening to the movement of the Spirit to urge you with courage to share our beautiful and exclusive message of hope. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was talking with a thoughtful Christ community member who is in upper management at Chiefs, the Chiefs, uh, which was a really fun conversation. And uh, he said, you know, we were talking about what it looks like to be a witness in his workspace. And I hope I get that opportunity to visit each of your workspaces. Honestly, that's one of the joys I get as a pastor to see how God's wired you and gifted you in where he has you throughout the week. But as we were standing there, we were kind of talking about what it looks like for him to be a witness. And he said, listen, you know, Gabe, I have to be, I have to be real strategic and very specific when I share the gospel. Because if I just go about sharing the gospel all the time, I'm never going to get my work done and I'll have rightful cause to get fired. <laughs> if I go around sharing the gospel all the time, I might actually get the accusation of discriminatory leadership because I'm an upper level management. But even still, I'm looking for the door to be cracked. And when it's cracked, I jump through the door and I share the good news of Jesus. You see, every vocation, every relationship, every situation takes work to navigate when and where and how we say something, but we must say something at some point. We have a message to share that is not just a life to live. We are pointing to a person whose name needs to be named. We are not just to live an ethic. When was the last time you shared this message with someone? Maybe if you're a parent here, it's while you were sitting at the kitchen or the dinner table and you're seeking to raise your children up and knowing this good news. Maybe you're serving in children's ministries in one of our services and you have the opportunity to help the littlest among us who have yet not to have the capacity to understand all the details of the message but slowly training them up in the ways of the gospel. Maybe it's in a conversation with a friend over happy hour. Maybe it is with a coworker while you're standing next to the copy machine or what have you. Is, but are you looking for those moments where people are communicating pain, doubt, the heartache of the way that the world is? And in that moment, you know that the only hope that we have both for life and of life abundant now and life everlasting past the grave is Jesus. Are you looking for those moments to say, yeah, first resonate and then share the good news of what Christ has done? For them, as the only hope of salvation, for we are not saved by any other name. And maybe let me ask, have you ever shared this message of Jesus with someone? If not, why not? Remember, as Christians, we're sent as witnesses of Jesus to everyone everywhere. Remember, the Holy Spirit and His power have been given specifically at the start to empower this mission forward. The mission of the Holy Spirit and the mission of the church are intimately tied together. Remember our message. It's the only message of hope. So if you haven't ever felt compelled to share, why not? And listen, my goal isn't to make anyone in here feel guilty, okay? Uh... Guilt is completely antithetical to our message at the end of the day because Christ has dealt with our guilt when we embrace him, yeah? And guilt, it will work for a little bit. Um, It is a motivator. (laughs) 
And it'll get you so far, but it'll never get you as far as the gospel wants to get you driven by gratitude. That's a much longer trajectory with greater impact and more dynamic return always. So my goal is not to make anyone feel guilty here this morning, but I do think this question, have you ever shared this message with anyone? I think it's a good check as to whether we really get this message. Because when Peter got it, when the Spirit came upon him, he couldn't keep quiet. If we've embraced this message, we've, entrust, we've been entrusted with the Spirit who's leaking out of us trying to get this message, the proclamation of what Jesus has done in the world. And so I'm curious, could it be if you've never felt compelled to share this message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, that demands repentance and promises forgiveness and new life and a new community, if you've never felt compelled to share this message, the only hope of salvation, could it be that you've never really embraced this message honestly yourself? Think about it. Have you embraced this message for yourself? And maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're exploring the Christian faith. This is a question I pose to you this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never embraced who Jesus is and your mind hasn't been changed. Maybe you're here and you've never repented of your sin and your heart hasn't been stabbed by the guilt of your sin which Jesus washes away in the gospel. Maybe you're here and you've never known the freedom of forgiveness and the work of the Spirit. Your life shows no signs of being transformed. Not perfection, but yet progress. The only hope for your heart and mine, for our deepest longings, the only way to not be defined by your sin, the only way to know freedom and forgiveness and to be saved is to admit that Jesus is who he said he is and that he had to die for the purchase of your forgiveness. So stop running from Jesus. And now learn to embrace him. Stop waiting. Now is the time. Peter proclaims this. He, he goes on and on. It goes on to say that he, right, he continues to exhort them saying, save yourselves. So will you make it yours? Make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And will you receive his promise? It's what's offered to us. This is our message. Will you make it your message? Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you would raise your hand and say, hey, Gabe, you know, I'm one of those folks who's been exploring Christianity for a while. I'm still not sure what I believe, but oh man, that message sounds beautiful. I want my mind to be changed. I want my heart to be stabbed and I want to know life transformation. I want to know Jesus. Well, the Christian life is always more than a prayer, but it has to start with a conversation. And it starts with a conversation with God that really lays out the ABCs. And I want to walk you through that. If that's something you'd like to pray it. It has three components. First, you admit that you're a sinner, that Jesus had to go to the cross for you. B, you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, the Lord and Savior of the world, Son of God. And then thirdly, confess that your life is his life and turn it over to him. You say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I need the salvation that comes through you and you alone in your death and my life is yours. It's as simple as that. And if you want to continue to talk about that, I know Tyler or I would love to continue that conversation with you. Now's the time to embrace this good news, this message for yourself. But maybe you're here 
And you'd say, hey, I've been following Jesus for a while, but the zeal to proclaim this good news, this message has kind of dwindled. I have not been captivated by this good news as much as of late. Maybe use this time and ask that God would reignite that fire within you, that his Holy Spirit would empower you all the more with a zeal to proclaim this good news, to have strategic and specific opportunities to share the gospel and have the courage and boldness to do so. This is what it means to be sent. This is what it means to be a Christian. At the very least is to be proclaiming the message of Jesus. So pray and ask God to reignite that fire in you that our message would be your message once again. And God, that is my prayer for me. That's my prayer for us as a church. That no matter where we are in our spiritual journey this morning, that this message would become our message all the more. That collectively we would be proclaiming the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and that this hope would ignite a zeal to make the world know this good news. Holy Spirit, you have come and you indwell us, empower us to do this. Move within us. And God, we seek to give you all the praise and the glory when you bring about your goodwill. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.